As you keep your Bibles open to Matthew 25, if you would uh, mark Titus chapter 2 and also 2 Peter chapter 3, we will look at a few verses of Scripture in those books as well. Titus chapter 2 and 2 Peter chapter 3. So the title of the message uh, this morning is Be Ready When the Sun Comes. Let's pause for just a moment and ask the Lord to help us today. Father, we look to your word and your word is alive and powerful and without error. It is eternal, inspired truth. And we hear the words of Christ as he teaches his disciples this morning. And so we as his disciples gathered here today in the name of Christ our Lord and Savior. Here for the purpose of worshiping him. We we open our Bibles and we open our hearts to the words of Christ as he teaches us today. And so we ask, Father, that through your spirit that we would be teachable, that we would be moldable that you would so work in our minds and in our lives today that as we grow in our understanding and in our knowledge of the things of God, that it would make a tremendous impact in our lives as we live our lives for the Lord. And we anticipate, Father, there are many things that we anticipate in life, we anticipate special occasions, we anticipate holidays, we anticipate getaways, we, we, we anticipate anniversaries, we, we anticipate milestones. But we as believers anticipate the greatest day that will ever be, the greatest day that, that will, will come And on a day when no one knows and no one expects, yet it is sure to come. And on that day, all of history will change and fold into eternity and we will be with you forevermore. We we await, we long for, we look for, we expect the return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to take us to be with him in your presence forevermore. And so what do we do in the meantime? So I pray, Father, that uh, you would help us and change us and speak to us. and, And God, your will would be accomplished in each of our lives. And we can't do anything, Lord, with apart from you. We can't do the work that needs to be done on the inside. But Lord, we know that you can and you are faithful to do so. So we give you glory right now for what you're going to accomplish. And we pray that everything said and done is pleasing in your sight. In Christ's name, amen. Be ready when the sun comes. If you remember, it's it's been several months now. I think it was back in November. We've been studying through the Gospel of Matthew for some time. And uh, back in November, we studied through Matthew 24... And then we took uh, some time off for Christmas and the New Year's to address some issues and topics and uh, things from the, from the Scripture for our church and, and culture. 
And so uh, this morning we step back into the gospel and we step back into chapter 25. And Matthew 24 was really, it's kind of really a super condensed version of the book of Revelation. It's Jesus teaching on the last days, the very last days. And so he's telling his disciples about the things to come, how, how to be aware of the signs of the times, the seasons in which we live, and things that will happen as the timing of his coming continues to draw closer and closer. And so we glean from Scripture. We, we, we learn from Scripture how to recognize the, the season of Christ's return, how, how to look around and, and understand what's going on in the world is, is part of God's sovereign plan as things continue to fold and unfold and progress until the coming of Christ. And we don't know the precise date of his coming, but we're able to recognize by the things that the Scripture gives us, the seasons that we live in. We don't know the exact date of his coming, but we do know this. The most important thing to know is that he's coming. He is coming. So the scripture, the point of the scriptures teaching on the last days or the end times is simply this. Be ready. Be ready. So when we come to Matthew 25, the first two-thirds of this chapter is, are, are two parables. Lord willing, we'll look at the second uh, parable tonight. And Jesus is illustrating how his coming will be received, what it will be like. Some will be ready for his appearing, but many will not be ready for the coming of Christ. So when we get to chapter 26 in our study, then we find the events that start happening in the life of Christ in the, the week of passion uh, leading up to Jesus' arrest. In chapter 27, we come to his crucifixion. And then there's just one more chapter in Matthew 28. And we see the resurrection of Christ. In other words, the final instructions that Jesus gives to his disciples before his death are in large part concerning his return. So the thing that Christ wanted to impress upon the minds of his disciples as he was getting ready to suffer and die, he he wanted them to know one thing for absolute certain. Yes, he's going away. He's already told them, I'm going to a place right now that you can't come. Yes, I'm leaving. I'm departing. But he wants them to know, I am going to return. I am returning. And so he exhorts his disciples, he exhorts us through teaching in Matthew 24 and through storytelling, parables in Matthew 25. And the purpose of all of this teaching in the various forms is to compel us, motivate us to be ready. He wants us to have the utmost confidence in his return and having that utmost confidence, confidence in his return to be ready to meet him. Be ready when the sun comes. 
And here we have, this morning, the parable of the ten virgins. The first thing we learn in this parable is preparation and expectation of his coming in verses 1 through 6. When that day that no one knows except the Father in heaven, is what Jesus tells us in Matthew 24, when that day comes, when Jesus returns, Jesus says here in in Matthew 25, the kingdom of heaven will be like this, and then he tells a story. So a parable is an is a earthly story that you can relate to and, and uh, he's telling a story that their culture can relate to in their time and it's giving a heavenly truth, a heavenly meaning. So the kingdom of heaven will be like this. The story of ten virgins waiting for the bridegroom, but five were wise and five were foolish. And the kingdom of heaven is going to unfold kind of like this story unfolds. That's Jesus' point. I'm going to tell you a story and how this story unfolds. That's how the kingdom of heaven is going to unfold in that day. The five wise virgins represent true believers who are ready, who are prepared for Christ's return. The five foolish virgins represents those who they've heard about Jesus. They've, they've heard the story of how Jesus came to earth, how, how Jesus died for sin, how he rose again, how he's returning one day. They, they know the story of Jesus. It's not like they disagree with the story or argue with the story or don't believe the story in a sense that it's not true. They've heard that he's coming, but they're not ready when he arrives. Notice, then, there's an expectation of his coming. All ten of these virgins take their lamps and they go to meet the bridegroom. The bridegroom here, of course, representing Christ. He's returning. So the foolish virgins, then, they have kind of an an apathetic expectation It's not like they would argue that the bridegroom is never going to come. That's not going to happen. It's just that their expectation is really shallow and and really low and produces no results. So they simply just go through the motions. I mean, they, they do what's expected of them to do. They take their lamps and they go to meet him. They appear to be eager... Because they're doing what all the other virgins are doing. They, they appear to, they, they have an appearance of expectation because they're kind of going through the motions like everyone else is going through the motions. They kind of think all they need to do is just show up. And that's kind of much the same in our, in our day with, with the occasional the, the uh, one who occasionally is involved in the things of God. When it's convenient, when, it, when it's easy, when it's comfortable. The occasional church attender, the occasional person who just simply goes through the motions. Oh, they would agree if, if they have a kind of, kind of a church background or, or family members who are following Christ and know the Lord. They, they kind of have an understanding of, of who Jesus is and that Jesus is, is going to re- return. But they have a very low expectation of his return. They're not really looking for him 
They wouldn't say, oh, he's never coming back. They're just not looking for him. They just don't expect him to be back in their lifetime. They're not looking for Christ to be here. So it's kind of a, uh, these foolish versions represent a foolish type of so-called faith that, that believe that all that is required is just the appearance of knowing Jesus. Just the appearance of some type of Christian faith and religion. They're just kind of going through the motions. But the wise versions... On the other hand, they have a very high expectation that leads to great preparation. These wise virgins brought along extra flask of oil with their lamps. Now, these represent the true believers who truly believe. They would not only agree with the Bible, they would not only agree with the scriptures that teach that Jesus is going to return, but they are eagerly waiting they, they are longing, they are expecting, they are looking, they are praying. They know salvation is not maintaining an appearance, but rather maintaining the faith. Loving God each and every day, believing Christ, following Christ. I enjoyed a couple weekends ago when the students had their impact and uh, Travis Agnew was sharing with the students and he said, Jesus, Jesus calls us, Jesus didn't call us to believe or obey, he called us to follow. He's talking of the calling of Matthew. Follow. I mean, that's something you do every day. That's something you do with your life. That's, that's not a one-time thing. That's an everyday thing. And that's these ten or these five wise Versions. They know faith. They know that genuine faith is accompanied by works. That, that it bears fruit in our life. A, a good tree bears good fruit, Christ would say. They know the, the new birth, uh, knowing Christ, becoming born again, giving your life to Christ. That new birth results in a new life. There's a certain amount of preparation that they have put into the expectation that the bridegroom is coming. True believers know that hardships and, and persecution are, are going to require perseverance. There's, there's a certain amount of things that are going to take place as we wait for Christ's return. It's not going to be an easy path. It wasn't for Christ. It won't be for those who follow him. Look with me at Titus chapter 2, speaking of longing for and looking for our Savior to return. In Titus chapter 2, beginning in verse 11, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us... To renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age. There's the preparation. Getting ready for Christ. Verse 13. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. There's the expectation. 
And why is all of this happening in our lives? Verse 14, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Christ died for the very purpose. His death actually brings about in our life who truly believe in him that great change, that great lifetime of preparation and expectation. So there's, there's that preparation, but there's that expectation, but the scripture says that, that the bridegroom was delayed. There was a delay in his coming, and they grew drowsy, and, and they slept. And, and oftentimes, it seems like to us who believe, John closes the book of Revelation, doesn't he? And he's crying for Christ to come. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. That's the heart of true faith, to, to be with the Savior, to see the Savior. So there's a delay. But true believers know that delay is not a reason to doubt. Just because the, 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 the coming of Christ seems to be on hold, that doesn't mean that there's going to never be a coming of Christ. It's not a reason to doubt, but rather the delay of Christ's return is a reason to endure, to keep believing, keep persevering, keep preparing, continually be ready. Because if he delayed his coming today, that means he may in fact come tomorrow. Because the fact is he's coming. Not when we're going to know the exact date, but that he is coming. And to be ready. So let's look at 1 Peter chapter 3. Speaking of this delay, why is it the world in so much turmoil and so much destruction and hatred and evil? Why is it that the Lord tarries, that he delays his coming? Well... 2 Peter gives us that insight in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 8. 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 8. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness. So you think it's being delayed, but it's not. It's right on God's schedule. But is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come, should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, as the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. In other words, the Lord is uh, tearing the coming of his Son just long enough for everyone who is going to believe does believe. Not wishing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. So at midnight, while they slept, and while they least expected it, at midnight, the bridegroom appears, and some of them are ready, and some of them are not. 
The ones who are ready are the ones who made preparations, who were looking for, expecting. Have you ever had an unexpected guest show up at your house? Not that you didn't want them to be there, but you just were not expecting them. And all of a sudden, they're here, and the doorbell's ringing, and you're in your pajamas. And you, 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 you run around, right? You rush around and run around, and then you go to the door, and then, you, then it's the, the UPS guy just left a package. Nobody's there, right? Unexpected guest. But what do you do when an expected guest, before he arrives? You get ready, don't you? You, you, you know, you pick some things up, you, you, you do this, you do that. If you're having a meal, you get, you're getting the meal ready. If someone that you're expecting to be there is coming, then you are getting ready for his coming. That's what Jesus is saying. He's coming. Get ready. Don't delay. You begin to prepare for the arrival of someone you know who's coming. That's the question for us this morning. Are we prepared for his arrival? Jesus, remember, he's, he's teaching on this in Matthew 24 and 25 before the cross. And he's teaching on it over and over and over again. In other words, it must be that we need to hear this over and over again. So that we will not delay, we will not neglect, we will not forget. We will be anticipating and preparing for his return. He is coming. Are we ready? Have you surrendered your life to Christ? That's the first point of getting ready, right? We have to give our lives to Christ. We have to repent of our sin and believe in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and the forgiveness and the sacrifice for our sin. And now when we give our lives to Christ, we begin to live for his glory. Everything in our lives, instead of revolving around us as sinners, it begins to revolve around Christ as the Savior. And we begin to live everything we do. 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do for the glory of God. That's living in expectation and preparation, longing for his return. Are we wise or are we foolish in how we respond to the truth of God's word? Does it make a change in our life or do we, do we compare the, the truth of God's word with anything else that we encounter, with any other book, with any other story, with any other message? Is, is reading Matthew 25 the same as going to watch a movie or reading a, or, or studying for a, a test at school? Or is it eternal truth that is changing our lives? Is it merely something we agree with? Is the Bible just something that we don't have a problem, we don't have a problem with? We, we don't argue with. We, we agree that it's all true. But we're not living by it. We're not clinging to it. You see, James teaches us, doesn't he, that, that that's the kind of faith, just agreeing that the Bible is true, that's the kind of faith that the demons have, right? They, they don't argue that whether or not this is true. They know that it's true. But for those who are in Christ, we, are, we not only know that it's true, we've given our lives to it. We, we, we stake our all on it. We've surrendered to it. And therefore, there's great preparation and expectation in our lives. The second thing we learn in this parable in verses 7 through 9 is 
We can share the message of salvation, but we cannot share our salvation. The foolish virgins had not prepared. They were not ready when the bridegroom arrived. He did come. He, he was coming, and he did come. They just were not ready. Their lamps were empty. And so the same will be true for those who are not prepared when Jesus returns. He is coming. They just won't be ready. Their hearts will still be empty. They will still be void of salvation in their lives. But for believers, the oil in their lamps, the the salvation in our hearts is only sufficient for our salvation. This is a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. We can share the message of salvation until Christ returns. And we've been emphasizing that the past three Sundays. We can share the good news about faith in Christ and salvation and new life and new creation. A new new opportunity. A new hope. But there's coming a day when Christ returns... There's a, the time of sharing the good news and faith in Christ now. And we can't save others when Christ returns. We, we can't impart our faith. We can't tag our faith onto someone else's uh, record. And that should stir then an urgency in us. One of the implications of this parable is that for believers, it, it should stir an, an urgency within us. To be faithful witnesses while it is still the day of salvation. There's coming a day when our opportunity to win that friend to Christ will be over. None of us know. We we don't know if we'll have an opportunity tomorrow to share the truth of Christ with that friend who's apart from Christ. That family member who's apart from Christ. That neighbor who doesn't know the Lord. That co-worker who's not living for Christ. We don't know if we'll have another opportunity or not. There should be an urgency within us. Don't delay. Share Christ today. Share Christ every day. I want to challenge each and every one of us here today to join with me and pray this four-part prayer every morning. And if you begin to pray this and you begin to think about it, I promise you, you're going to have opportunities to share faith in Christ. If we begin each and every morning praying this, Dear Lord, open up a door for me to share the gospel today. Dear Lord, open a door for me to share the gospel today. Number two, give me the wisdom to see that door when you open it. I don't know, if you're like me, there's, there's opportunities around us all the time to share the gospel. And, and after about 30 minutes later, I realize, whoa, that was an opportunity and I missed it. So, Lord, give me... Open a door for me to share the gospel today. Give me the wisdom to see that door open. Give me the courage to walk through it. Remember we talked about fear of sharing the gospel? Give me the courage when I see that door open to walk through that door. Number four, give me the words to share. We stumble, don't we? I mean, we can, we can be talking 90 miles an hour and all of a sudden, you know, heaven and hell come up. And so... Lord, open a door for the gospel. Give me the wisdom to see it when you open it. Give me the courage to walk through that door and give me the words to say. 
Now, like I said, we spent three weeks on preaching on evangelism. So the whole time I'm preaching to you, I'm preaching to me, right? And the Lord's asking me the same question. Will, how many people have you told about Christ? How many times have you let opportunities pass by? How many times have you been uh, full of fear and rather than full of faith? So these three sermons that I preached to you, I, the Lord was preaching to me. Our SEAL team met on Tuesday morning. Five guys sitting around the table and we were talking about evangelism and sharing opportunities and looking for opportunities. In our men's study, one Sunday night, we studied on evangelism and, and God's calling for that. And I, I tell you what, this Thursday morning, I started praying this prayer. This past Thursday morning, I went to the Y. You know what I do at the Y, right? I went to the Y. I was in the gym. Before I left the Y, I invited three men to church and shared the gospel with one of them. And while I was sitting there talking to this guy, and he starts talking, you know what I'm thinking in the back of my mind? The Lord's talking to me. And in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, well, this is what you were praying for. You going to say something or not? You going to speak up or not? If you start praying, if we start praying for God to give us opportunities and help us see it and the courage to walk through and the words to say, he'll answer those prayers. There should be an urgency about us. We had a great group turn out yesterday to, to go out through our uh, community and pass out gifts and invite people to church and open up conversations. We had some great conversations. We'll be sending out postcards later this week. Every day, sharing Christ today, sharing Christ every day. But the text is really emphasizing not, not an urgency for believers, but a warning to the unprepared, isn't it? The text is saying you have to have salvation in your heart when Christ returns. It has to be yours. You can't borrow it from someone else. You can't take their faith as your faith. Listen to me very carefully. Grandma and grandpa can't get you to heaven. Mom and dad can't get you to heaven. It has to be your faith. You have to own it. It has to be yours. Coming to church won't take you to heaven. Going through the motions won't get you to heaven. Just putting on an appearance of some kind of religious and, 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 and good moralism will not get you to heaven. It has to be yours. Christ has to be yours. You have to own it for yourself. You have to believe. You have to surrender and give your life to Christ. You have to have oil in your lamp when Christ returns. It's between you and the Lord, what you do with Jesus, your own heart. So the message of the parable is this for you who are without Christ today, who may just be, have been going through the motions. Don't delay. The only person keeping you out of heaven is you. Don't delay one more moment. Don't worry about what anybody thinks. Don't worry about what anybody says. Don't worry about what anybody in the church may think. If you were to come this morning and, and talk with Martin or talk with me about receiving Christ, don't worry about the world or the church. Worry about the Lord. Worry about your soul. Don't delay another day. You're not promised tomorrow, but you do have today. Don't be misled. This world does not have the answer. 
What you're banking your hope on and your life on is going to crumble. It's all going to wash away, burn away, turn away when Christ returns. The pleasures of this life, the treasures of this world, and the appearance of having it all together simply won't suffice when the bridegroom comes. You're either ready or you're not. Just like the oil of the foolish virgins, everything else will run out and leave you empty. So the last and final thing in verses 10 through 13, when the sun comes, the opportunity for salvation will end. You see, the delay in his coming wasn't so that we would run out of oil, but rather that we would have ample time to prepare. That's what the delay's about. But once that door is closed, it doesn't reopen. When God closed the door of the ark, it didn't reopen until the world, until the world had been remade. And that's the way it's going to be when Christ returns. That door of opportunity, that door of salvation is going to close And the next thing will be the new heavens and the new earth. Jesus talks about it's going to kind of be like the days of Noah in Matthew 24. There are two doors that stand in front of each and every one of us who are gathered here this morning. There are two doors that stand in front of us and we don't know when they might close. there, There are two doors that we will walk through or not walk through. There's the door of death and there's the door of Christ's return, the door of salvation when he returns. The Bible says it is appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. That means that we we have one life, and when this life is over, and we don't know when it's going to be over, we don't know when that door will close. When that door closes, when this life is over, we stand before the Lord, and we are either ready or not ready, empty or full, with Christ or without Christ. And the Bible says one day Jesus will return and those who believe will be saved and those who refuse will be judged. So if Jesus' is coming is still years away, if it's still a long delay before Christ returns, I'm not so sure about that. It seems closer and closer each and every day. But if his return is still multiple years away, the door of death then, let's say the return of Christ is 100 years from today. We don't know that. It's on God's calendar. Let's say that's what it is. That means every single person in this room will walk through the doorway of death before Christ returns. A hundred years from now, none of us will be here. None of us will be here. The door of death will close on every single one of us in this room. And you may see it closing... You may know that it's coming, and you may not. Death just comes. So knowing that, knowing that that door will close, and knowing that if Jesus were to return today, what if, his, what if on God's heavenly sovereign calendar the return of his son is tomorrow morning? Would we be ready when that door of opportunity for salvation closes 
You see, if you don't know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, he doesn't know you. That's what he says to these foolish virgins, doesn't he? I, I, did, I don't know you. The point is this. If you don't want God in your life now, he won't be in your life in the next life. You know the purpose of a medical x-ray, right? It takes a picture of your inside. That's, I don't know about you, but that's not comforting for me. It looks past the outward appearance, doesn't it? The x-ray gets past the outside and gets on the inside. It gets past the makeup. It gets past the night's clothes. It gets past the outward show, and it goes right to the bone. Gets you right on the inside. It always gets me with those dental x-rays, right? They throw a blanket over you. They stick that machine on the side of your face, and then they leave the room, right? They get out of there. You know, God has x-ray vision. The Bible says that man looks on the outward appearance, all the show, all the put on, all the dress up, all the act, all the veneer. Man looks on the outward appearance. God looks on the heart. He has spiritual x-ray vision. And I wonder, I have a pair of these that I often depend on, these readers, I wonder if, if God just were to allow us and his spiritual x-ray vision and, and give us all some spectacles with spiritual x-ray vision and we all put those on this morning, what would we see? Or if God just said, okay, I'll let you borrow my spiritual x-ray machine for a little bit, Grassy Pond, and, and poof, there was, a, there was a spiritual x-ray right here at the front of the church, and everybody lined up to walk behind that spiritual x-ray. And when you walked behind it, you could see your heart. What would you see? What would you see when you get past the facade, when you get past the appearance, when you get past the veneer? What's on the inside? Would it be an empty heart? A dark heart enslaved and, and decaying in, in sin's corruption and blinded with sin's deception and trusting in other things and other people and self? Or would it be a new heart, vibrant, beating, bleeding for the glory of God, full of life, full of faith in Christ, full of hope in His return? Because we can't see each other's heart this morning, but God does. God knows exactly where we are in this life and exactly where we are with Christ. So the question comes down, is there oil in my lamp or is it empty? If it is empty, you can fill it today. It can be filled today with the glory and salvation and life of Christ if you would simply trust him today and give him your all because only God knows if you'll have the opportunity to fill it tomorrow you say preacher are you trying, you, are you trying to manipulate me to scare me to, 
to guilt me? No, I'm trying to tell you the truth. We have two doors, death and the return of Christ, and we have to be ready. And Christ is here. Trust him today. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We know that it is true. We know that it is eternal. The word of the Lord proves true. We look back on history and the word of the Lord proves true. We look back in our lives and the word of the Lord proves true. We look back at Christ and the word of the Lord proves true. And we look to the return of Christ and one day the word of the Lord will prove true. Christ is returning. And we will either meet him with expectation and preparation and salvation or we will meet him empty and void with, with nothing but ourself and our sin to show. Father, would you do a tremendous work in our hearts this very morning? And if there's any gathered who are apart from Christ, who've never really surrendered to Christ, believed in Christ, turned from self and the world to turn to Christ, they've never been born again, they've never been saved, they've never been forgiven and given new life, then I pray today would be the day that they give their heart to you. May they see Christ as life and salvation and resurrection and hope. And Father, for us who are in Christ, may we live as though we are in Christ as we are children of God, children of the King, waiting for the Savior to come, help us to seize the day and make most, the most of every day while there is the day until Christ comes and takes us home. Father, you be pleased and glorified and help us to respond this day in faith and obedience in Christ's name. Amen. Would you, st- you have been listening to the sermon ministry of Will Owens, pastor of Grassy Pond Baptist Church, Gaffley, South Carolina. Be sure to visit willowens.com to hear more sermons, read blogs, and learn more about the missions branch P67 Missions. Again, thank you for listening to Will Owens.